0: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ed Robertson welcoming you to a brand new edition of TV Confidential, radio talk show about television. Thomas Hayden Church will join us in our second hour. Thomas Hayden Church, the Emmy Award winning and Oscar nominated star of Wings, Sideways, Ned and Stacey, Divorce, Broken Trail, and Spider-Man 3. Thomas has a new movie out right now called Acid Man, that tells the story of a woman who tracks down her estranged father in the Oregon wilderness, where he lives alone and is obsessed with UFOs. Together, the father and the daughter attempt to make contact with the UFOs and make contact with each other. Many critics believe that Thomas's performance in Acid Man is the very best of his career. We'll ask him about that and more when Thomas Hayden Church joins us In our second hour, we hope you stay tuned for that. In the meantime, and in case you missed the news, Rita Lakin passed away last week. Rita Lakin, Edgar-nominated screenwriter, producer, novelist, and a true pioneer of television. Rita Lakin not only created The Rookies, one of Aaron Spelling's first hit series on ABC, she was also one of the very first female scriptwriters and later female producers in network television with credits that include such classic shows as The Mod Squad, Dr. Kildare, Peyton Place, and Medical Center, as well as many popular movies of the week. In so doing, Rita also opened a lot of doors for women in television at a time when the television industry was almost entirely run by men. Rita Lakin passed away Thursday, March 23rd at the age of 93. Rita Lakin was also among our very first guest's. On TV Confidential, I had the pleasure of chatting with her many times over the past 14 years, both on and off the air, and we will play highlights from two of our conversations with Rita over the course of our program this week, beginning with a clip from Rita's appearance in October 2015, a few weeks after the publication of her memoir, The Only Woman in the Room. I'm not a scriptwriter, but I have. I've written a few memoirs. I've edited a few memoirs. And I love I love the process of examining and determining the arc of a person's life. Because even if you're just recalling a certain period in a person's life, in order to make these events or that period compelling, you have to think like a fiction writer. And that's more or less exactly what you did when you wrote your new book, The Only Woman in the Room.
1: Well, I... I actually thought along those terms because I read a number of memoirs and I just never quite got it the way memoirs are written. And so I know if I was going to write one, I had to write it in a way that made me comfortable and and could really ramble on with the stories I want to tell. And so I really wrote it as if I was writing fiction, only instead of it being fiction, everything in it was true.
0: Now, let, let me ask you this. Now... At least, I mean, th- this has been my experience. When 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 I work on a person's memoir, whether as a writer or whether I'm piecing it together as an editor, you have to think in terms of arc, which is again that that's a, that's a term out of fiction. That's just uh, that's specifically a script writing term. Uh, you have to think of a person's life as a, as a three act play and. And some arcs are better than others, and not everybody has an arc. You read, you have one of the very best kind of story arcs, at all. But I, I would imagine it, it you had to be ready to, to, to talk about certain stuff.
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> it took me all these years to get ready. I don't think I could have written it 20 years ago.
0: No, I mean you—you you, you probably couldn't have written it 20 years ago. But again, that goes back to your experience as as a novelist, which is how you— which which is how you spent uh, the last 25 years of your life. The first 25 years of your life were spent in television, particularly the 60s and the 70s, uh, and up until the end of the 1980s. And you know, and and again, 25 years—that's—that's that's a good period for anybody. But again, it is it is remarkable because you were not necessarily aware that you were being a pioneer at the time you were just trying to survive because you stumbled onto television at a time when you absolutely needed something to happen for you.
1: Stumble on is a good word. I think I stumbled through (laughs) almost all the years I was there. I I mean it. I, I, I really didn't have a clue. I was operating from a whole other point of view. I was a wife, a mother, a housewife. I had children. I had friends, all of whom were horrified that I had to go out and work. I mean, I knew there was such a thing as women's lib, but it was, you know, there were books I read and I was very impressed, but I I never thought of myself in those terms. I just needed a job. And for some amazing reason, I had a, I don't even know what word to use for it, but instead of going to the, the Five and Dime or Sears to get a job, I went to movie studios. There must have been some real will to do something unusual in my life, even though I hadn't a clue.
0: Okay, you hadn't a clue, but but to back up just a little bit for for people who who may not have heard our previous conversations with Rita, we're we're talking about the early 1960s. Rita Rita had just lost her husband, Hank. You're you're in your early...
1: 31 years old, and... And to have lost a husband age 34
0: was, you know, such an oddity, to say the least. Exactly. So you're you're thirty 31 years old, you have three young kids, and all of a sudden you've got to be the mother and the father, and you've got to be the breadwinner. And so, I mean, right. there's, and again, this is the remarkable thing because you had to basically figure out what you were going to do next while you were grieving, but you didn't have time to grieve. No.
1: I didn't. I had to go out and do something. I figured I had just about enough money from whatever little I had, plus thanks, Will. I had about a month to survive before I would have to go move back home with maybe live with my parents again back in New York. I didn't want to do that. I, I just, I don't know what I was. I was operating on on a couple of levels that I really wasn't aware that I was operating on. I think my whole life was a subtext of things I did without realizing why I was doing it until I wrote this book, and now I realize why I did every single thing I
0: ever did, but I never realized it at the time. This book we're talking about is the only woman in the room, the only Woman in the Room, a memoir of Rita Lakin's 25 year career in television at a time when women writers and producers were not only rare in television, but women themselves were not considered worthy or even welcome at the creative table. We'll talk about all that in just a second. Rita talks about this and more in The Only Woman in the Room, which is available in bookstores everywhere. You can also find it at Hal Leonard. Books.com, Amazon.com, RitaLakin.com, and wherever books are sold online. Now you began your career at Universal Studios. Right. Um, you 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 began your career as a secretary, but it was an uh, as secretarial positions go, it was not only unusual but you. I mean you, you, you could not have landed a better job and a better pair of bosses. Well
1: I I I I just stumbled in again. I went in and then the first thing they asked me <laughs> could I type or take shorthand and I well I wasn't in for lying so I said, No, I can't and I said to myself, There goes the job right now But uh As a postscript to this, I think I never, ever did learn to type. I think typed my entire life with three fingers. (laughs) But anyway, it was an amazing experience because the gal who was doing the hiring was my age, and I guess I really was able to touch her. Well, I guess I played the pity me card, too. I mean, there I was, a mommy with three little kids, and we were going to stop to death if we didn't have a job, you know. And she just gave me this job. And the thing she said to me, I'm putting you with two men who never take dictation. You'll never have to type a letter. You'll never have to do any of that stuff. You'll just be, have to answer the phone. And I said, well, I could do that. I know how to <laughs> dial a phone. <laughs> remember dialing a phone?
0: I, yes, I remember dialing a phone.
1: Well, that's what we did in those days. We dialed.
0: Yes. Now, did you dial with a pencil like they do on television in the movies, or did you do your finger? Did you have like an automatic, you know?
1: I think I just dialed with my finger. Maybe sometimes a pencil. I don't know. I wasn't paying
0: attention to that. Going back to your very first job at Universal, we've done many programs, and I've talked to many people who worked at Universal on the creative end. Uh, particularly in the sixties and seventies, Rita. And I have this image of I me mean, not only the Black Tower but 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 also I mean particularly when it was very volume driven in the seventies, late sixties, early seventies, Universal was this factory. So I had this very corporate image of Lou Wasserman and the way he ran that stuff. And I'm not saying none of that is very true, but you showed a human side to Universal during that era that has changed my perception of that?
1: Well, first of all, yes, there was the Black Tower, which was kind of, you know, uh, scary, but I didn't go there. Before the Black Tower, there were only these adorable cottages. Mm -hmm. I mean, Universal didn't really look like any other studio. It had English cottages with charming gardens, and it was really very pretty. And the wonderful part was that the cottage that I got sent to right next door was Cary Grant and his (laughs) cottage and and, um, next door to that there was all these other people. Anyway, there I was at my first adventure and I was right next door to all these amazing people and I met these two wonderful men who I got to work with. So there I was. (laughs) unable to do anything really and right next door to me is Cary Grant Doris Day Mm -hmm. and down the street is Alfred Hitchcock and I have two of these gorgeous handsome young men, Dale Sheets and Ned Tannen who are my bosses Mm -hmm. and they look like Hollywood movie actors it was a a magic place to work in Um, it just was I didn't see it as a factory it may have been a factory but from my point of view, meeting people, it was like living in a, on a movie in a movie script of its own.
0: Well, two things. One is, um, and I think this is, I, I think this is the way a lot of people are. We we tend to, if we have people in common, we tend to think of these people in terms of how they treat us, or and, and a lot of times it may be in, how they treat us may depend on where they are as people when we, when, when we meet them. There are several people that you and I have in common. Some come across better than others, and I can understand why, because it depends on where we are when we meet them. But, but again, it goes back to the bigger point of the, that I mentioned earlier, and that in a lot of ways, the, the fact that you, you let the reader have that window into these people at that time, when you were, when, when you were there, whether at Universal or at MGM, I mean, it's, it's, it's very important.
1: Well, I think that's where I was. I didn't get the big picture. I didn't uh, know about how to make movies, or I even never went to sets or never did any of that stuff. I had a job in an office, and and I was meeting all these interesting people right across the way was a commissary, and I got to meet everybody who ever worked at the studio. I was with people in this job, not involved with how it worked. How it worked came
0: to me much later. You're listening to a conversation with Rita Lakin that originally aired in October 2015. Rita Lakin, creator of The Rookies and the author of The Only Woman in the Room, a memoir of Rita's 25 years in network television. Rita Lakin passed away Thursday, March 23rd at the age of 93. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. In our first segment, uh, Rita, we're talking about how... There's, there were moments, or at least when you look back and you tell your story, in the only woman in the room, Rita. There, there seem to be moments when, for lack of a better word, I don't know. I mean, I know you use the word guardian angels, and that's you know that that makes sense. There's certainly a lot of serendipity going on, in certain in certain key yes, moments. I would think so. I just was incredibly lucky. Yeah. Well, you. Yeah, but you were not only lucky, but see, I I, I learned a long time ago that there's no such thing as pure luck. I mean, we have to know what to do with the luck.
1: I I realized eventually when the doors opened, I was smart enough to jump.
0: Exactly, exactly. I mean, we make our own luck with preparation. And and yes, there were opportunities when people came into your life, Mm -hmm. when you needed them to come into your life, such as the woman, who led you to your first, to, to your, to your entree into television, you know, your very first job at Universal. But in each case, you knew what to do with that opportunity and to take it to the next step.
1: Absolutely, yeah. intuitively. I, I, I swear they were like two, two me's. Mm-hmm. The part of me who just drifted from thing to thing, from uh, things happening to me, I just kept drifting along. But there was another part of me that somehow or other was smart enough and paid attention to when there was an opportunity to do something,
0: such as the story of your very first story pitch with the uh, producer of Doctor Kildare and and a very young Sidney Pollack who was attached to. Yes, Dr. my God,
1: I, I the first job I ever had, I had the. <clears throat> was who was doing his first job also. And they, they were so nice to me. The thing that was going on all this time is, <laughs> I, I see it two ways. One, that the men saw me as some kind of a novelty, that mm-hmm. I wasn't a threat to them, and it was such a nice thing. You want to be a writer? How cute. You know, it's, it's adorable. But on the other hand, I realized, not that early, but I realized that there weren't very many women around, and how come, and why weren't there writers? I I remember years later, uh, reading about probably the two women who came before me, Juanita Bartlett, but she wrote mostly macho men things, and D.C. Fontana, Dorothy, used initials because she didn't want anybody to know she was a woman, and she'd go to these meetings and, surprise! There was a woman there. She was in a different world.
0: Yeah, w- Juanita is another person you and I have in common.
1: Yeah, she was a wonderful lady. She I was know her very well, but she was they were terrific both of them. And you know, I just walked into this meeting and I was terrified. I had to pitch these ideas and they were being shot down one by one. And I thought this career was over before it even started. But the, my two guardian angels at that office me. They said, "Well, you know, you're a woman, and um, maybe we would like to do a woman's story for a change." And, and Sydney and David, you know, said, "How would you like to do a story about a woman who's a widow with small children and has to go to work?" And I said, "Oh my God, my agent
0: went and told <laughs> about me." Your, your agent at the time, Mel Bloom, who, who, and again, this this goes to the this this goes to the novelist in you. I mean, he's a real person. And yet, when you describe him, he comes to the life as a, as a real character. And even though he he was kind of brash on the outside, he was,
1: he was uh, mush on in the inside. Exactly, he was just a sweet, lovable man.
0: Yeah, and he. And I
1: think again, he was amused he said to me can't you find some man to be a partner with you you know <laughs> i mean all these women writing here they all have husbands to write with i said well i unfortunately don't have one of those anymore i'm gonna yeah. have to do it myself yeah. and he and you know dale sheets my wonderful dale sheets and ned Tannin, they they talked bell into they pushed him into it you know gently mm-hmm. read you know you could be the first one to have the first great woman writer you know they were, they were adorable and that's what happened and, and meanwhile i had been studying scripts all along mm-hmm. and again it's a matter of being when opportunity knocks i had written i had read in a book that you should have a sample script ready if you ever want to sell a script and it, and it still applies today
0: Yeah. That-
1: and so i had this sample script and Sure enough, when they said, Well, give me something to read. Bubba. He always called everybody bubba <laughs> He said, really, you got something to read, so I gave him my script. And that's how I got my first interview with Dr. Kildare, which scared the hell out of me because I I was didn't really have a clue as to what I was doing. Of course of course I could write about a woman who's mourning her dead husband mm-hmm. and having to deal with a child and you know, of course I could do that.
0: By by the way, that book you mentioned was a book called Teleplay, written by a man named Coles Trapnell. Coles Right.
1: He was one of the first ones who wrote books for, uh, you know, people who wanted to write. I mean, Coles Trapnell's book was my Bible. I
0: I had a chance to get to know Coles a little bit towards the last few years of his life. Really? know if he like well, he was winding down, but uh, um, I, I talked to him around 94, 95, and I think he died about four or five years oh, later. Oh, yeah, and but, I read
1: his book in 1961 or two.
0: But uh, uh, when, when I wrote my book on Maverick, he was he was very, very, very helpful to me to describe you know, the era of that show after Roy Huggins had left. So, uh sure. You know, Cole's Trap now still has a very special place in my heart. He was very well, he
1: mine. I still have that original book <laughs> with all my notes to myself written in all the margins. What should I do? What can I do?
0: I, he was my Bible. You're listening to a conversation with television pioneer Rita Lakin that originally aired in October 2015. Rita Lakin passed away March 23rd at the age of 93. We'll take a quick time out and then we'll play some more of our conversation with Rita. When we come back on TV Confidential.